Hi, this is Travis Tritt, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with Jay Gilbert and Michael Etch Art. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Hypebot, Bands in Town data shows in-person concerts returning much faster than predicted. From Music Business Worldwide, BTS set Spotify record, but 10 million streams are discounted on services chart. From American Songwriter, Songwriter U, the letter U, are you getting all your streaming money? Also from Hypebot, Grammys revise award rules, release 2021-2022 deadlines. And from Inside Hook, we use Spotify's new Play Count feature to ID the best deep cuts in pop history. These stories and quite a bit more on this latest edition of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. You could take to the bank Kids played outside Up until it turned dark When the world turned slow And you could smoke in a bar Trucks took a beating The working man too You could turn on six o'clock And get the whole truth a seatbelt was a backup for mama's right arm When the world turned slower and you could smoke in a bar Well, Jay, how about Mr. Travis Tritt coming up with an intro Travis and Tritt. a new song? Yeah, new album. Um, Travis Tritt, uh, you know, he hasn't had a new record in like 14 years. And this new album, it's called Set in Stone, um, is produced by Dave Cobb. 
Uh, he's produced uh, Chris Stapleton, Jason Isbell, Brandy Carlisle, John Prine. Any uh, big names just that he's worked yeah, anybody we've heard of. <laughs> just a phenomenal album, and my favorite track on it, we just heard a piece of that, is Smoke in a Bar. There you go. Well, and let's, you know, you cannot, uh, uh, when you mention his name, you cannot ignore the fact that this guy sold a gazillion records. I mean, he yeah. has had platinum albums since his first, if I recall correctly. And I yeah. think you told me that when his original deal was not even an album deal. It was like a no, singles a- deal. Yeah, I think it was for three singles. You know, the last concert I attended um, before COVID hit was in February of 2020, and that was Travis Tritt. He played the Thousand Oaks Civic Arts Plaza here, which is only a few miles from my house. And I went to the show, and he played with an acoustic guitar, and that's it. Mm. No band, no nothing. The place was packed, and he lit it up. Wow, wow, great. Yes, the the mark of a great performer is when you can just walk out with a single instrument by yourself and nail it yeah it's that's that's yeah. hard to do hard yeah to thank do. you for the intro travis we, we really appreciate absolutely, it absolutely absolutely fun stuff by the way in case you don't know that guy his name is jay gilbert he's the curator of the your morning coffee newsletter which is weekly music news for the new music business and a former executive with universal music sony music warner music and fox home entertainment a good pal of mine for 22 years now. Yeah, it's been a while. And, and, and Mike, of course, is a longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music. Where we met. Yeah. <laughs> back in the day. Back when they were still <laughs> selling lots and lots of things called compact discs. Yeah. Yeah, those were the days. Were I mean, days. We, we got to be... At the uh, table when the original, you know, Napster hit Mm -hmm. and when we were trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do next? And they had press play and music net and you and I worked at, was it ECAT or E-Labs at the time? ECAT Uh, first and then it changed. Electronic Commerce and Advanced Technology Group. And then E-Labs, which... Yes, everybody was doing lab things, and so we changed it to that. And uh, yeah, and then of course we were also around for that first deal with Apple, which really started the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That that kind of that changed everything. It really did. It changed the game. It changed the game exactly. Yeah. But hey, Jay, let us talk and give a little love to yeah, our sponsors. To our- yeah, we, we have some great sponsors. Uh, Your Morning Coffee podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bandzoogle. Built by musicians for musicians, Bandzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in. Hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. Just use the promo code Morning Coffee, all one word. 
you'll get 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's Banzoogle.com, promo code Morning Coffee. And also sponsored by HypeBot. We are, since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It's edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by the live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. You must know about Bands in Town. Over 55 million live music fans trust bands in town to get personalized concert alerts recommendations and messages from their favorite artists it's the number one artist service platform connecting over 530,000 artists with their super fans managers labels agencies and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms gigantic thanks to bands in town hypebot and of course the groovy kids up at banzoogle yeah and man you know every time we we talk about banzoogle I think back to, you know, in our early days of, play, of being musicians and playing in bands and stuff. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. God, you could, you, can you imagine having those tools at the time? Um, you know, you remember going to like copy places and making, mm-hmm. you know, la- lousy mimeograph copies of like, you know, things announcing a, a show. Or, and it's just like, oh, my God. Yeah. To have had those tools in my day would have just been absolutely yeah. remarkable absolutely it's such a great tool and we need to update the text i was just reading an article it's we're using 55 million they've gained 10 million since they Whoa. sent us those stats so going forward it's it's 65 million and according to this article we're going to jump into you know they've uh, they've been growing actually it says here 62 million in this article so the our first story is from hypebot talking about band Bands in Town data. The headline is Bands in Town data shows in-person concerts returning much faster than predicted. And of course, in that first line, it says data from Bands in Town, 62 million registered users and 550,000 artists reveal a robust and surprisingly fast return of in-person concerts. Are you are you surprised that it's... Uh, Well, you know, I think what it is, is it's really just such a pull. I mean... Uh, you know, just just walking around in like my, my wife yesterday tried to go up to Santa Barbara and from uh, th- from the last 20 miles, it took her two hours to get there. I think there's so much pent up interest and excitement to spend money and to get back to normal. And that yeah. is for for so many of us live music and i was just looking speaking of santa barbara i was looking on the santa barbara county bowl site this morning to see what concerts are coming and they've got about six shows scheduled i went and looked at the greek theaters concert they've got a ton of concerts coming to the greek theater in los angeles um yeah i i just think it's such a pull and so many people want it so badly yeah, but it's it's of course um well, it'd be interesting to see because at least here in california we have another two weeks or so before everything yeah seemingly will get back to normal yeah. and so yeah. um but in the meantime there's a lot of things that still have to be kind of worked out you mentioned going into the to the studio recording studio a recording studio yeah um, yeah and all the protocols you know and the same thing with me it's you know it's people check take your temperature and you got to show yep, proof of that's right. vaccination and things like that so i think it's going to be a little bumpy for the for the next couple of weeks but and then, of course, and I, uh, being a big Dodger fan, Los Angeles Dodgers, I think on June 15th they're going to go back to full capacity at the stadium. And so everything is really coming fast. And yeah. I can hardly wait. Hardly I'm wait. actually coming up near your neck of the woods this summer. 
um, for a show. It's um, Jackson Brown opening for James Taylor. Two of my all-time favorites are um, out on the road uh, together. So I don't know when the first show is that I'm going to see. Um, I'll be a little bit nervous. Now, typically, I'm working um, when I'm at these shows. Um, but still, um, I think I'm still going to be a little nervous. As, as we talked about last week, I took my first plane ride uh-huh. in, in over yeah. a year and survived that. Um, yeah, I thought that going back to live concerts would be a lot more gradual and that people would be afraid. But as more people get vaccinated, um, we start to return to this new abnormal um, you know, in this article, they point out that there's 222,000 upcoming events that are now listed on bands in town versus 87,000 at the start of 2021. Yeah. That's, you know, and 78% of those um, are happening before the end of this year. That's pretty quick. Well, and then it's they're also mentioning that in 2022, likely to see twice as many artists on stage than before the pandemic. Uh, Live Nation recently shared that it had already booked twice as many concerts for 2022 as it did in all of 2019. So interesting. Australia, New Zealand, and the U.S. are leading the global live music recovery. And not surprisingly, fans are pulling out their credit cards, uh, as I am. (laughs) You know, it's like (laughs) I want to spend money. And I think I might have mentioned this uh, in a previous episode. I I remember reading some data from UCLA, some economic data, and they were talking about uh, this kind of being the roaring 20s for the 21st century. And of course the roaring twenties happened in the 1920s. And that was when, you know, jazz and flappers and all of that thing. But I never had, had equated that that was in many ways a response to the first pandemic called the Spanish flu back in those days. And so they're of course predicting that a similar thing will happen again, almost a reaction or definitely a reaction from being cooped up in the pandemic. And it's going to be a huge economic boom in everything. And so yeah. it, it, I can feel it, you know, I can just, yeah. just this weekend or just if you're out and about this weekend, which is a three day weekend here in the U S um, you can just feel people just, they've got their credit card out or their debit card out and they are, they are buying stuff. I went to a mall yesterday for the first time in over a year. Wow. Um, like? Yeah. I went to, I went to the Oaks in, in thousand Oaks and I, I had to run by the uh, Apple store and it looked like Christmas. They were getting ready for Christmas yeah. or the holidays. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was very busy. The parking lot was pretty full, um, but it wasn't ridiculously mm-hmm. cramped in there. Um, and they, it was comfortable. Uh, everybody was wearing a mask still. Um, but you're absolutely right. People have been cooped up, and they want to get out. Let me let me ask you this: If you're going to a show, would it concern you if it was indoor, a lot of people packed together? Would you prefer that it be kind of an outdoor Hollywood Bowl to, to kind of thing? To kind of step into it lightly, so so to speak. You know, yeah. I'm I'm feeling so confident having been vaccinated. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't. It's not worrying me. Um, yeah. So I. So I. Yeah. I'd, I'd happily go to an indoor show. I think I. I'd be slightly more comfortable outdoors, of course. But I think uh, for sure I would do an indoor. Um, but you know, it's interesting. When we've talked about this a lot, you know, um, they did mention in this article, of course, that that um, bands in town was super involved, 
in in basically these online live stream concerts. And yeah, I still think we're going to be seeing more of those as you do as well. I believe, you know, it's it's that's not yeah. going to go away. It's not going to be. I don't think it yeah. will. It won't be obviously to the number like to the degree sure. that it that it was. But now we've learned how to do that as an industry. People yeah. who had never done that before are now comfortable and the sound is good and the video is good on a lot of these. And some of them are, as we've talked about, some of them have really good production value. And I see it as just, you know, another arrow in our quiver. It's something that we can do. Maybe you play a couple live dates and then you live stream something. Then maybe you incorporate both together. I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see how people weave these technologies together yeah. to reach a larger audience. And by the way, congrats to Bands in Town, named one of Fast Company's top 10 most innovative live events companies and recognized as Variety's 10 innovators to watch. Uh, and it was one of my first apps. <laughs> Vans yeah. in town. I'm still, it's still and on my first page on my iPhone. <laughs> yeah, I love Bands in Town. I also use Bands in Town Manager. And whenever I talk to artist managers and artists, um, a lot of them are surprised to know that the, their followers, which are called trackers uh, on Bands in Town, you can reach out to them for free um, when you want, you know, you're releasing new music, you're, you know, doing a tour. But more importantly, for very little money, I think it's like five cents an email, you can reach out to fans of other artists. So if your artist sounds like the Chainsmokers and you know that their fans would dig you, you can reach out to them and say, you know, hey, I think you might uh, enjoy this. So Bands in Town Manager, Bands in Town, uh, one, of, one of our favorites. Well, and I will again say what I said earlier, which is, you know, imagine having those tools when we first started out. Boy, that would have been yeah. just so remarkable. Hey, this yeah. next story from uh, Music Business Worldwide. Uh, BTS sets Spotify record, but 10 million streams are discounted on services mm -hmm. chart. By the way, this is their la latest track. is called Butter, uh, which is kind of a cool track, actually. I would, yeah. I would say that I'm a BTS fan by any stretch. Of, and I keep forgetting that. Oh, you're just saying that because I admitted I was a believer. Well, there you go. That's right. I, I, I'm <laughs> somewhat yeah, in, uh, following you there. But I will say that All I right. keep forgetting that there's seven people, seven guys in BTS. Um, oh, I thought there were six. I think there's is there seven? seven. Yeah. It's like, how do you get that much airtime for each guy? Uh, but anyway, it doesn't really matter. Not, not to the article. They're absolutely adorable, by the yes, way. Yes, they are. <laughs> and massive. I mean, it's, it's, I know. Oh, my gosh. They're, they're uh, you know, they're, you're, you're right. They're massive. I, I, I really want to get your thoughts on this kind of, is it a new rule? I don't know. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that, you know, some almost, you know, 10 million of these plays were taken off of the numbers that make up Spotify's public-facing charts. Now, they're not taken off of the counts right. that you see on Spotify, but just, just for the charts. And they're saying, it says, why? Because BTS fans hammering the track on repeat. Ooh. Now, what do you think about that? Because... A listen is a listen. Now, I, I my behavior when I hear a song that I really love, I repeat it. I repeat it. Sometimes I will listen to a track ten times in a oh, row absolutely. if it's something that really moves absolutely. me. I just I can't get enough of it, and I want to absorb it and memorize it, the lyrics, whatever. So, what do you think about that? Well, it's it's interesting. So, so to back up a little bit. So on Friday, May twenty first, this single mm -hmm. butter. 
uh, they confirmed that the track racked up 20.9 million global plays in its first 24 hours. Okay, that's so, one day. That's one day. That's oh, 21 million plays in one but day. But then they whacked 10 of those, not only for the purposes of the chart. So as they say, Spotify's strict chart rules are based on a secret formula. Okay, another secret formula. Uh, but industry sources tell uh, music <laughs> business worldwide that only the first 10 plays of a track by each user on the platform are chart eligible within each 24-hour period. So this is just kind of a... I, I kind of get it, to be honest. You know, it's like you, you want to be... Because there's so many things you can do to... to not to game the system, but... but but to basically make your favorite band push up the charts. And this is a way that they want to keep it a little bit more apples to apples, I suppose. Which, But why don't they do that on the other count as well? Because the chart is one thing, and that's important, mm -hmm. I understand. But what about the revenue? If you're getting four to $5,000 for a million streams, uh, back of a napkin kind of thing, right. there's financial implications sure. here too. So I guess my question would be, if you're going to stop those numbers from being a part of the chart, why aren't they stopped from being part of the monetization? Well, because they can't stop the monetization part, I suppose. Um, but they just want—they don't want this. They want—they don't want to see artificial inflation of chart positions. That's what they say. And I guess if you go onto their FAQ, they talk about that a little bit. And so the artificial inflation Spotify is referring to includes incidents such as that time in 2018. When over a thousand Spotify logins were claimed to have been distributed by the BTS fan army to boost mm -hmm. U.S. streams for the band's album "Love Yourself Tear," it's tear, not tear, yeah. right? I don't know. I think it's tear. I've only I think it's tear. I've only read it, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't listen. It doesn't. It's not going to uh, make it hard for me to go to sleep tonight knowing this, but. Um, you know, I understand that, you know, they, they especially with, with a band like BTS, who has such an insane fan base and such, such a technologically savvy fan base. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. You know, they are they are amongst the most dynamic fan base that, that I certainly I've seen in the last decade. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah. on it. Um, yeah, and remember, we, we talked about recently how Spotify had removed some spin counts um, from people who were using bots mm -hmm. and spin farms. This is not no. the case. No, no, no. They were saying that, you know, August of last year, BTS's first fully English language single, Dynamite, you know, was more than 12.6 uh, million streams on Spotify, and almost 5 million of those were discounted from the chart. You know, at the time, Music Business Worldwide asked if BTS's global fan army had coordinated online to boost the single's day one streaming numbers, and if they did so without turning to paid-for uh, stream farms, and that was the case. So... You know, it's not like they're trying to game the system illegitimately. There are definitely people who are hitting repeat, and I'm assuming there's audio coming out of their speaker. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit different than just paying some spin farm to just play something over and over and over and over again to jack up the numbers when there's really no fan involved. This is actual fan engagement. But Hyper engagement. To your point. Hyper engagement. 
hyper engagement. And look, when these fan bases, whether it's Billie Eilish or Justin Bieber, these fan bases are getting very savvy. Mm -hmm. They communicate with each other. They share funds with each other to get subscriptions to uh, streaming services and to share news about these tracks and to purchase physical copies of these things. And it's it's really interesting. By the way, and, and totally unrelated to this conversation at all, there's a little line at the end of the article that says, Butter was co-written and produced by Columbia Records chairman and CEO Ron Perry. That's kind of cool. I know, I saw that. That is really cool. <laughs> it's kind of old It's school. a head, head-jerking kind of like, what? Yeah. But I remember, um, you know, Doug Morris co-wrote Smoking in the Boys Room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some instances of yes. that. Now, back in the early days, people would put co-write credit on there uh, nefariously and, yes. you know, and just to get more money. I highly doubt that uh, Ron Perry <laughs> is involved in anything, <laughs> no, and we're not. I'm, I'm going to assume <laughs> that's fairly above board. Yeah, doubt. yeah, exactly. Interesting stuff, though. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and I don't, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. It's their it's their platform. They can kind of do what they want, and that's and they've recognized that it's important to kind of, for the pur- purposes of charts, to make sure that it's not being gained, so to speak. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Jumping over this is from the American songwriter songwriter U the letter U as in songwriter University. Uh, are you getting all your streaming money? And this is really talking about independent songwriters. And and mechanical royalties, the the uh, yeah. the, the, the lifeblood of songwriters, um, yeah. And it's interesting, um, you know, mechanical royalties are are again one of those things that, uh, you know, it, it's kind of the inside baseball stuff of of the record business that we came from, and very few yeah. people, even in the industry when we were there at least, understood mechanical royalties, and how it works. And you know, there, there was, somebody told me the story early on when I started, which is. If you look at Bob Dylan's albums, almost all of his albums have only 10 songs on them. And the reason is because most record labels will only pl- pay full mechanical royalties to the first 10 songs. And after that, it's, it's, it's a lesser number. And so That's right. So he had a very savvy manager at the beginning of his run um, and, and yeah. who recognized and who, who promoted Bob's songs to be recorded by other people. And so he right, and he had a lot of success with yeah, his songs being absolutely. recorded by other people yeah. early it was on. Albert Grossman, um, his first manager, the late Albert Grossman, um, and so he was very savvy when he came to publishing <laughs> from early on, or his manager was, and therefore yes. taught him the importance of of mechanicals yeah. and songwriting and, and publishing. And so this is kind of, but this we're really kind of talking about um, independent songwriter and people do, who, who who do not necessarily have a major publishing deal, and it's talking about. The Music Modernization Act back in 2018 implemented a more efficient and effective way for DSPs to license the musical works they make available on their platforms to ensure that rights holders were paid the mechanical royalties they're owed for that usage. I can't imagine the back office complications that Spotify, Apple Music, that all of the DSPs have to deal with when it comes to this. I mean, it's... Well, they used to have to. Yes, well, exactly. At the beginning of this year with the MLC... Um, which is part of the Music Modernization Act, the Mechanical Licensing Co- Collective, that kind of changed the game. So now there's this blanket license, and it's so much easier to follow the trail of the money. Um, by the way, this piece, uh, I was wondering why it was so detailed 
and so uh, well written. It was written by Cara uh, Dioguardi, um, and she's a, a songwriter, um, and she's collaborated with Pink, Katy Perry, Kelly Clarkson, Celine Dion, Miley Cyrus, Britney Spears, and on and on and on. Um, so her songs have garnered 11 Grammy nominations and 23 BMI awards. So this is kind of one of those uh, superstar songwriters that's trying to educate uh, the indies, especially uh, about what they need to know, you know, for, you know, the MLC. And it goes on in this article. She shows you step by step. This is how you sign up. Uh, for the MLC. Absolutely. Super, super important. And that's kind of the difference is now that you, you do, you as an independent songwriter need to get your data into the system. So the DSPs can then have that information accessible and, and pay you out basically. And it's a wonderful, I mean, it's, it's a, um, it's really wonderful that this thing has been set up. And because again, we're talking about 65,000 tracks added to the DSPs every day. That is a, and, and growing. And growing, exactly. So they've got 65,000 new pieces of data each day that has to be collected and accounted for. And this is a tool that if you are an independent songwriter, you best get on it. It's, it's a portal, and it's, as, as you mentioned, Jay, you, you get fairly straightforward details on how to sign up and how to get it, your, inf- your information in. And yeah. damn it, get paid. That's all we're trying yeah, to do. We're just I, trying to get you paid. You know, I've talked to the MLC. Um, they're doing some really great work over there. And, and here's how it works. You know, a fan listens to a song from their favorite music service, Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Amazon, whatever it is. The service reports that usage to the MLC, which then matches the song to its database of publishers, composers, lyricists, songwriters. The musical works in the database have been checked for accuracy by songwriters and publishers themselves, making it easier for the MLC to match the usage correctly and compensate the proper rights holder or rights holders, uh, which it does through monthly uh, royalty payments. So she goes on to kind of say, th- this is how you do it. This is how you join the MLC. One, you start the membership process at any time by clicking the connect to collect button on the MLC's homepage. Super simple. Number two, once the MLC verifies and activates your account, you can add your musical works, uh, you know, the data, the metadata songs to the MLC portal. And then number three, you know, you quote unquote play your part by making sure all of the data is as complete and accurate as possible. So, you know, a lot of what we've been doing in the music business has been the same, you know, for 75 Mm -hmm. years. And it's now that we have the Music Modernization Act and the MLC, things are finally starting to evolve. And as you and I talk about all the time, you know, the UK Parliament is looking into the economics of streaming. They're talking about user-centric versus pro rata. There's so many things. Now we've got some traction. Now we've got some things moving and people talking about it. Um, And if you ever want to kind of get a sense of what's really going on with all of this stuff, check out uh, the website Music Technology Policy. Mm -hmm. Um, Our good friend Chris Castle uh, contributes over there. These are lawyers, yeah. and they're smart, and they're uh, experienced in the music space, and they're watching these things and commenting on them almost weekly. So, music technology policy. Well, and we've talked again in the, in the past about you know when we were in, in major labels, it's you know when 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 you look at about seventy five years of history, um, and especially in the publishing world because publishing catalogs get traded and, and not traded but sold and acquired. There's so much activity 
in the music publishing <coughs> space, it's really hard to keep up with that. And when you look at the, the major labels and how they have to uh, account for royalties and send them out and how it's changing and, and people die and you've got estates and they move and, ex, and, they move and they've got ex-wives and they've got, uh, it's just, it is a, an accounting nightmare. And I can't it's imagine. really, this is the trench warfare of, of the music business. It's the collection <laughs> of data and it's the management of data and it's paying out beca- with, with information, the data that you have. And it's really, really, really challenging. And, and listen, uh, the major labels could do a much better job than they do, but it's a Herculean task to do this. And so this is yeah. a really a wonderful way of hopefully really addressing a very important part of of the publishing world and getting folks paid. So good article. Yeah, interesting. absolutely. Very interesting. One final thought on this. If you are a songwriter um, or you're in a, in a band, you definitely need to um, check out American songwriter, their website, oh, yeah, it's a great um, you know, subscribe to their, uh, their emails, really great information, super helpful um, American songwriter. There you go. All right. Our next our next article, uh, this is from HypeBot, our friends over at HypeBot. Grammys revising the award rules, and they have released their 2021-2022 deadlines. Um, yeah. yeah you, you were a voting member at the Grammys. I still am. Yep, yeah. I was. I don't think I am anymore. I should kind of get deal with that. But anyway, you should check on that. I should that. check on that. <laughs> One of the many st- pieces of mail on this gigantic stack on my desk, I'm sure. I understand. Uh, uh, significant and uh, rules and eligibility changes. Now, you know, they've, they've, it's been a tough year for the Grammys in many ways, hasn't it, in terms of, of, of rules and... and pers- yeah, and people feeling slighted, mm-hmm. you know, like the weekend, you know, that maybe they weren't um, nominated for the categories they wanted. Um, and the challenge of putting on a show during COVID, which they nailed oh, they killed it. it. I mean, they, it was they so just, good. I still have yeah. gone back. In fact, as of this week, I've gone back and watched a number of those performances again. And I like that format of too. kind of in the round Absolutely. where the artists are watching the other artists. It just seemed more personal. And how many things during COVID, whether it's an award show or you know a live stream? Very seldom do they outdistance the original, and this one did, I yeah, thought. Right. Well, so kudos to the uh, Grammy. And at the same time, there was it was a, new, a change in leadership at the uh, Grammy pr- uh, pr- uh, show, and so yeah. kind of that combination forced them to kind of think out of the box. And it's we're both fans of the Jules Holland show on on BBC, and and if so, friends listening from the UK know about that show, of course. And it's set up very similarly. Similarly. And it was just great, and it was great. You could see the artists watching other artists perform, and Trevor Noah was a great host. I mean, they just killed it. It was the performances yeah. were awesome, and oh my god, yeah. I, I want to see more. I want to see more you know, of that exactly. I think Bruce Houghton wrote this piece. It says, you know, the Grammys released their newest calendar this last Wednesday, along with some significant rules and eligibility changes. The biggest change is the expansion of eligibility for credited producers, songwriters, and engineers in the album of the year category. All are now eligible, whereas recognition was previously limited to those credited on 33% 
or more of an album's runtime, 33 and a third. See where I'm, see where I I'm see going? I see where you're going. Uh, yeah, the overall percentage of newly recorded material required for an album to be eligible for an award has been up from 50% to 75%, must have been recorded within five years of the release date. So this... This piece here, I this is one of those I think you should print out because it's got a really up-to-date uh, Grammy Awards calendar mm-hmm. and also has sort of these new rules uh, that have been uh, just announced. Well, yeah, and it's interesting. It, well, and I think, you know, this, this has kind of really been a long t- time coming, especially this thing about credited producers, songwriters, and engineers. You know, as as the industry has changed in terms, you know, when you look at your average album and your average pop song, it has, you know, you've got these groups of producers and songwriters. And it, Today, it's, yeah. It's unbelievable how many people participate mm-hmm. in the process of making albums. It's not the principal songwriter in a band and a producer. It's like... Everybody across the board, and and it's like like in sports, like everywhere, the specialization. You know, you've got uh, songwriting people that specialize in choruses, or special, or producers and engineers that specialize in vocal tuning, or in, you know, it's it's just unbelievable the amount of people yeah. now that are specialized in this process, and this thankfully now recognizes lots of those folks that are involved in the process because it's a gigantic list from a lot of albums and songs. Well, you you are 100% right, and I saw this funny cartoon this last week that illustrates what you were just saying, which is they showed uh, a light bulb, which is kind of the idea, right? So it used to be that a song was that light bulb, somebody's idea. Now a song is Christmas lights. (laughs) Because it's all of these, all of these people that have ideas yeah. and input, and then there's the old joke, you know, change a third or no, change a word, get, get a third. third. That's right. <laughs> Everybody's trying to get a little piece of that, that. sort of thing. But you're absolutely yeah. right. It's so specialized. There are multiple co-writers typically uh, on these things, and sometimes multiple producers. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and, and, then, uh, and, and the producer's role has changed so much, right? Yeah. In the days of George Martin, a producer's role was one way. And now today, they're artists in their own right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and and the lines are so blurred. You know, you've got artists themselves, or you, and then they'll, they'll go over and produce. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll, the changing of hats is really what's what's very very interesting. And the, and again, the tools make this so much more possible and easily done because it's lots of people are just creating these these tracks and things in their homes and then taking them to studios and even the producer may produce the album but then he'll have different mixers mix each song and so you'll have a single producer perhaps or multiple producers and multiple remixers and it's just yeah. unreal and you wouldn't think that that would be a big deal but mixers are super important mm-hmm. today I'm, uh, one pops into my head you know Chris Lord Alge yes you know mm-hmm. um there are people that can mix and have a real skill set at a certain sound or mood or genre. And it's not just a producer, engineer. It's all of the above. It's it's a team effort for some of these things. Um, we, we talked about the album of the year category, you know, the nominee and recipient eligibility. Um, one of these on here was the, the dance field is renamed and redefined. The category formerly known as best dance recording has been renamed best dance electronic recording. 
Um, this category is intended for recordings with significant electronic-based instrumentation, generally based around a rhythmic dance beat. In my head, I mean, I, I think of David Guetta, you know, mm -hmm. Dead Mouse, yeah. you know, that sure. sort of thing. I, I, that's kind of what I'm thinking that they're talking yeah. about. Yeah, but that's even hard. You know, it's when you think of uh, recordings with significant electronic-based instrumentation. Well, that's every song recorded right now. You know, that's that's... It, it's, it's really, it, it does get kind of convoluted sometimes when you really try to narrow down what a category, and, and it, I think as humans we try to categorize everything, and especially in, yeah. even in music and film, it's like, well, is that a documentary? Is that a rom-com? Is that a this, that? Um, but it, it is important to continue to, you know, as music styles change and, and get integrated into each other, it's important to kind of redefine some of these categories. So I do applaud that. And I yeah. know this is, you know, in in many ways a reaction to to the tough year they've had i think for sure so uh nice that they're doing that stuff and uh they also yeah. a second technical grammy award has been added specifically reserved for a company organization or institution uh and and again the, the because the technology has been changing so much in the recorded music industry i do applaud that uh, recognizing individuals who have dramatically pushed boundaries and made groundbreaking, important, outstanding, and influential contributions of technical ex excellent, excellence and innovation to the recording field throughout their lifetime should be recognized. Yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. And you had just mentioned a second ago that a lot of today's recordings, you know, have electronic instrumentation and a lot of production. And that is true. But I'm also seeing this really cool trend. Like I was listening to Olivia Rodrigo's new track. Yeah. Uh, was it good for you? I think. Um, anyway, it sounded like late 70s, early 80s punk pop with guitars yeah. and I just love, the, I hope it's cyclical and it's coming back around because that's typically what music does, mm -hmm, right? Sure. It, certain things, what's old is new again. But my hat's off to uh, Olivia Rodrigo. That, that song is amazing. Yes, indeed. Well, this, the, the one we've been having the most fun with is the next story from Inside Hook. We use Spotify's new play count feature to ID the best deep cuts in pop history. <laughs> oh, I love this so much. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you start, and then we'll, let's talk well, about some of the... <laughs> this started about the first week of May, and it was very quiet that Spotify added the um, spin counts to album tracks across the board. Now, you could see those if you are an artist, manager, label, distributor. You could see on Spotify for Artists uh, what those spin counts were by going through Spotify for artists, but not on the main platform right. and only for your artists that you have access to. This is across the board. And I had so much fun looking up, you know, the Beatles and Elvis and the police and Elton John and <clears throat> just going through finding some of my favorite um, albums and then taking a look at what those spin counts were. And what's really great about this article is they're looking at, some of these deep, what we call deep tracks on albums um, that either maybe they were overperforming, maybe they were, you know, underperforming. Um, this piece was written by Tim Grierson for Inside Hook. And he says, you know, now that streaming services list the play counts for every song on every record, let's celebrate some underloved tracks that deserve more spins than they get. Yeah, again, these are the least played songs on a given album. And they're all playing right now because I had them up on my <laughs> turning them off. You can't all hear right. them, thankfully. Um, but yeah, so 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 what is the least played album on 
I'm sorry, I'm hearing them. That's all right. Uh, 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 what is the least played album on one of my favorite records of all time? Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run. It happens to be Meeting Across the River, which is a great, great, great song. One of my favorites on the record. Yet it's the least played song on that album. On the that is so fascinating. On Joni Mitchell's Blue album, the least played song is The Last Time I Saw Richard, which again, is there's no bad songs on any Joni Mitchell album. Um, yeah, it's like, it's fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating. So I looked up some of my favorite albums, and the one that really surprised me is, uh, you know, one of my favorite albums of all time. That's the, there we go. I was hearing it through. I was hearing music through my headset. Um, <laughs> one of my favorites is Captain Fantastic and oh, the Brown Dirt Cowboy yes. from Elton John. One of the first albums I bought with my own money, mm -hmm. and just just a phenomenal package, phenomenal album. And one of my favorite songs on there was a song called Writing. Mm. And he talks about, because it's an autobiographical album about Bernie Taupin and Elton John. And they talk about their writing process. And, and that song is the least uh, uh, played on, on Captain Fantastic. I'm thinking, that's one of the best songs on the album. How come? But it makes sense when you think about, you know, the hits you know, of some of these, um, some of these albums, they're going to get exponentially more spins. Yeah. And, and it's, well, again, it's, it's the data that now, and, and I'm sorry, I know you can hear it in your headset. I'm sorry. I got to ref. <laughs> I was, I was wondering if that was me or no, you. No, it's me. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So nobody can hear this except Jay and, and myself, but I, on this article on Inside Hook, it's, it's got the YouTube videos for all of these songs that are the least played on a given album. And so, I had listened to them all, and when I, when I went to it, they started playing. All of them started playing, and so Jay can hear that in his earpiece. <laughs> I can hear it in mine. It's not being recorded, so that's why we're both kind of like verklempt. No all worries. Of a sudden. Let, let's run through some yeah. of these. You know, like uh, Fleetwood Mac from Rumors, huge album. The song Oh Daddy is, is the least oh. uh, performed. And it's such a great song. Christine Michael McVie. Jackson, Baby Be Mine from Thriller. I mean, that album, start to finish, is perfect. amazing. It's a perfect pop yeah. album. Absolutely. Strange Relationship, a Prince song from Sign of the Times. Another great album. The Struggle Within on the Meta on Metallica's Meta self-titled album. Great song. Closing track, I think. Uh, and then uh, and, and on uh, Octune Baby, a U2 song called Trying to Throw Your Arms Around the World. A great song. Got actually a fair amount of airplay. Radio Still. Um, Guilt Trip from Kanye West on Yeezus. Just... You know, all of these songs are great songs, but they are the least played. Something has to right. be the least played. Um, I guess, but some of them are really, uh, like, great. barely played when everything else is getting tens of millions of plays. Yeah. I started looking up some of my favorite albums to see and, and like, almost guessing what that song would be. Uh -huh. And I nailed it on the police uh, synchronicity. Oh, which was? Because one of the Andy song mother is, is and, that, and I love Andy Summers he's say, yeah, a, a client he's a good guy sorry Andy but I didn't like that song <laughs> and I looked on Spotify to see and by far uh, mother was you know to give you an idea mother had 1.5 million streams and every breath you take had 893 million <laughs> <laughs> That's more, I think. I remember seeing that. I think one of the an interview with Stuart Copeland, and he said, you know, we both, we all wrote songs for the albums. And he said, it's just that Stings were the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> it's, look, it's tough. If you're George Harrison and Ringo Starr and you have to compete with Lennon McCartney, yeah. now, to George's credit, uh, he wrote some amazing songs. Mm -hmm. But 
man, that raises the bar. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, so good. well, and I think, you know, just in general, um, it, you know, people don't listen to albums really anymore. You know, it's, no, it's, you're right. it's rare that anybody yeah. listens to, you know, you would, in our day, in the days of LPs, you would take an album, you'd buy that album, you'd go home and sit and you'd play it front to back and, and read the liner mm-hmm. notes and kind of get yeah. get to know it. Um, that's just not the way people, most people listen to so, so some do. That's right. Some people do and vinyl is making a resurgence Absolutely. and that's bringing back kind of that album experience mm-hmm. and flipping aside and you're leaning in and you're engaged. That's great and it's really important. But you are absolutely right. It's a track-based economy today and that's why you see some of these differences. But... I thought it was interesting looking at the other deeper album tracks that sometimes aren't going to be on playlists that are getting people are discovering mm-hmm. uh, in this album side. The other part is there's some genres and moods that are really album oriented, like jazz. You know, it's hard to pull a track off of a jazz record. Maybe easier with jazz vocal, but if it's a traditional jazz um, album. Pulling a track off of that and putting that in a playlist is a little awkward. It's a little wonky. It doesn't quite work like maybe uh, EDM, country, pop uh, does. And so I've noticed that those spins across those albums, unless something was added to um, a big jazz playlist, they're a lot more consistent than on the pop side. Interesting. And I, and it, it seems that jazz albums are made as albums more so than lots of you're yeah. not talking when you're when you're looking at jazz repertoire. Generally speaking, you're not thinking, "Hey, what's my emphasis track here? What's what's the single?" That's that's not the way it works. Um, right. So that's I guess that is kind of off to the side. But still, it's it's so fun to look at. Again, this is just kind of data rabbit holes, and it's yeah. so easy to get sucked in. Like, ooh, I wonder what on this album what the least played track is. I wonder what this. Oh my is. gosh. I- I loved going in and exploring this, but you and I were talking uh, over coffee before we started uh, hitting the record button that, you know, Spotify launched in October of 2008, but didn't launch in the U.S. until July of 2011. So these numbers are really from that era and doesn't reflect full-on consumption, right? Um yeah. Like some of these albums came out in the 70s, you know, and, and a lot of theirs were, you know, cassettes and CDs later and vinyl. It's just a snapshot of streaming, uh, you know, since 2008. But it's it's interesting to see how this new music business consumes uh, music. Well, and, and, you know, we were looking at that kind of fun facts thing that or I was looking at that you sent through to me. And it's interesting to go back and because, and, you know, a lot of these and we've talked about this on the show. It's like, when did that happen again? You know, it's 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 interesting to kind of go back and look at the dates. So, so you know, certainly in, in our early in our careers, SoundScan really started to change everything. And and that's that's really when when there was a proper um, a tally of of albums sold. It was it was an electronic system. And that launched right. before that, it was someone calling me. I worked at Tower Records. Reported. I was a singles buyer. They would call me and go, what's your top 25? And I did it manually and I did it accurately, but not everybody did. And they would they would call you up and they would say, OK, this week we need this artist in the top 10. And nine times out of 10, it was either there or close to it. And then they had this path where the next week it had to be in the top five. And then they were, quote unquote, going for number one on a certain day. And there was, 
you know, it wasn't as accurate as it could be. And you're right. In uh, March of 91, when SoundScan launched, then we got true POS data and we found out things like country albums sold. Yes. Uh, before that, they weren't making Not only the in the South, but everywhere. That's exactly right. And just to back up a little bit, for those that didn't catch that, I sent uh, Mike over just a, a list of maybe 25 fun facts that I researched uh, for uh, your morning coffee. And it's things like, you know, when did Apple start? You know, how many subscribers does Amazon Music have? And when did the iPod launch? And, and things like that. Because it's kind of fun to look at these things and realize that some of this technology hasn't been around very long. No. And even, we talked about this, MP3s were a big deal, and then they weren't. Yes, yes. And as far as configurations go, and I mean cassette, vinyl, streaming, downloads, uh, MP3s were really around the least amount. Now, they're still around, but you know what I yeah. mean as far as that curve of being the configuration of choice. One thing I noticed was that, okay, so SoundScan first came to, came to market in March 1st, 1991. It was only a decade later that then iTunes launched. I would have thought that was a much longer time of, you know, I was there for, for both, um, mm. but it was interesting that that was just a decade. And then Apple Music launched in 2015. Uh, uh, Apple subscribers as of June 2020, 72 million, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Spotify only launched in, in 2008, October of 2008. Globally, worldwide, yes, yeah. Exactly. U.S., we said, was 2011. And 2011, exactly. Yeah. Um, and let me, what are the other things that kind of... So Amazon Music, I was surprised Amazon Music launched back in 07. It was very much off my radar in 07, but that's indeed when it launched. Uh, they have 55 million subscribers as of last January. Uh, the original Napster, June 1st of 1999. And that really oh, was man. a couple of things that. That, that, to my mind, were, were the, just the lines in the sand. It was, it was the Napster thing. And the other thing was when Tower went out of business. Those, to me, yeah. were very... Uh, uh, I, the word that comes to mind is ominous. Uh, they were very yeah. ominous. I remember being... The Napster thing kind of rolled in. It wasn't something like all of a sudden you woke up one day and it was there. You kind of started hearing about it, but the Tower thing was very much a, a, a one-day event. Yeah, we saw that train coming. Absolutely, right? but I remember and when it finally happened, I just being like, "Wow, that that was devastating." Absolutely. Yeah, it broke my heart. I mean, I worked at Tower for nearly five years. I'm very close to a lot of the people uh, that were at Tower to this day, mm -hmm. and when you know. We did the, this podcast last week. I was in Colorado, and when I flew back, I watched the Tower documentary again mm -hmm. just to, you know, All on things the plane. Must All things much. Yeah, look, if you haven't, uh, it was uh, created by Colin Hanks, Tom Hanks' son. Mm -hmm. It's such a fantastic uh, documentary. And, you know, I, I loved working at Tower. It was just, it was, uh, you know, outlaws and outsiders. It was a really cool place to... Uh, to work, and if you haven't seen that documentary, uh, you got to watch it. It's one of one of the best. And speaking of documentaries, we should mention we get a lot of lovely emails and 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 reach outs from folks that yeah. listen. We so 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 appreciate it. But somebody has mentioned a couple of times it's been mentioned that we need to uh, do a list of 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 music documentaries that we think is worthwhile for everybody Ooh. that listens to this show and just our music fans in general. 
uh, sh- should right. probably know about challenge accepted. That's right. We are working on it, and we're going to post. I'm not sure. We'll figure out where we're going to post it. But we, uh, Jay I, and I, will. I can put it on my blog or on Medium or something, that. and then we can put it in your morning coffee, and then we can Perfect. talk about it. I mean, this is really your wheelhouse. <laughs> I, I think I've mentioned so many of these documentaries that you've turned me on to. I've watched. Uh, well, I was telling you, I watched that Cream Magazine documentary. Mm-hmm. America's only rock and roll magazine, um, and uh, so good. Just, I think I mentioned it last yeah. week. I just I still I haven't watched that it documentary because I yeah. I grew up reading Cream Absolutely. Magazine. I'd ride my bike to the Circle K store and tuck it under my jacket so it didn't get wet in the rain, and get home and they were smart asses and they were Absolutely. irreverent. And um, so again, a um, lot of great documentaries out there. And look, if you as as a listener, if there's one that you see. Uh, send it to us. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because it is literally yeah. the golden age of music documentaries and and, yeah. and music programming. You know, some of these are a little outside of the um, of the 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 strict confines <laughs> of what a documentary is. But there's some several multi-part things. I watched the Rick Rubin um, kind of four parts, I think, on Showtime. Um, so that was sort of how was that? It was great. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. and I worked with him for a bit. So. I, I it was fun to watch, fun to fun to see, and it's 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 not a straight documentary, but again, it's sort of music related content, music related programming that it's all wonderful. So Jay and I are gonna gonna sharpen our pencils and get to work on that and and post that in the next month or so. So it, it's because yeah. it's you know, and I don't I don't keep a tally of it, um, and so I, I got to kind of yeah. go go back and 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 look and 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 remember what what things that I watched and loved. But it's there's and so sometimes they're not just a straight ahead documentary. I was watching this um, Rick Springfield orchestrating my life. He played with uh, an orchestra, and you know it was it was really good. But what was great about the video is it's a documentary interspersed. Mm -hmm. So there's this interview with him and it's such a great story. I mean, uh, there's so many things he's done. Like he went to Vietnam and, uh, you know, as a musician, um, and there's just so many things that he talks about in this documentary that a lot of people don't know, but yeah, we will definitely put together that, uh, documentaries you need to watch. Absolutely. Absolutely. And on that note, we must wrap up episode number 42, Jay. Thanks to Travis Tripp, by the way, for giving us the Thank you, Travis. Absolutely. And of course, big thanks to Banzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. And Jay, and as live music continues to, uh, break out of its cocoon. It's going to be fun to start catching some concerts, and the weather is warming Can't up. It. It's and been a long time. It's been a long time. So we do want to thank everyone for listening in today. Don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter if you have not. You can go there to you can go to your your morning dot coffee. One of these yes. days, I will get it. And yes, that is the full URL. It doesn't seem like it, yeah. but you go your to your morning dot coffee. coffee. You can subscribe if you haven't. And if you have, then you know how awesome it is. And Jay, Thank you. have a great, I'm going to see you tomorrow. I'm looking yes. forward to that. We're going to be in person for the first oh, time yeah. in over a year and, tomorrow. And, looking forward to seeing you, brother. And eating food. Woohoo! Yes. So thanks for listening in, folks. This issue of this edition, I should say, of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. We'll be back next week with number 43. Have a great week. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.